Hello from wherever you are and welcome to Into the Black Archive. Um, episode 5 of Flux has just aired as we as we speak. For the penultimate episode. Yes, penultimate. That's a good use of that word. Yeah. One more to go after this. One How more. many questions are there still? I think it's starting to bring answers together. How well it's doing that is a question. That's the. I mean, we all know this is heading for, towards like a big red button. Yeah, we've been saying that from the start of this, from Flux beginning. We've been saying which this is just going to be ended by a button, haven't we? Really? Yeah, it's all setting up for like. There's going to be a lot of loose ends, but don't worry, we're going to put a big reset so nothing happens. I mean, you can just tell. It, like this is what happens with these kind of big stories. I mean, it's just going to be. This is essentially a Russell T. Davis two-parter, but for an entire season. Yeah. Isn't it really? Effectively, yeah. It's sort of extended over episodes. Now, we should say before we get into episode five that by and large, this series has been okay. I think the issue... With a particular highlight last week. I think the issue is, is that it's been an inconsistent mess. Like, you do have the really good episodes like the Angels one, and you also have really good ones like the Sontarans one, but then you have the introductionary episode once upon... twice Once upon time, yeah. Once upon time, which was just a bit shit. Um, <laughs> Jumbled. And then you also have this one, which I'm going to be up front and open right at the beginning of this podcast. It's the best one out of me- mediocre episodes. In my view. In my view, it's the weakest. But we'll get into why. The weakest of the mediator ones. Yeah, I think it's probably the weakest episode of the series. Even worse than Once Upon Time. E- just. I wouldn't say it's like by much, because there are good bits about it. But but the, like, the, the primary crux of the episode is somehow far too simple, and yet also far too convoluted at the same time, which is really weird. Is it like how the, the character said how it's a... How it's a really simple answer, but also impossible to explain, only to explain it. Exactly, it's basically division. Division is indescribable. Yeah, but here we here we are. We're going to go and describe it away. Yes, we're for going to you. give it a go. So uh, yes, this episode was survivors of the flux, of course, um, which means we are five episodes down on flux with one to go. Where do you want to start? I'm going to completely mess this up. All right. We should probably discuss this at the end, but I want to discuss it now because I'm, I'm interested to see your, hear your views on okay, this. Okay, okay, so we're just going to jump straight in on this. Yeah. Not even on this episode. Do you think, including all the red button caveats we've said previously, Yeah. do you think that final episode next week is going to land it properly? No. That's, that's, my, that's my initial feeling. I think it's going to be... I think a lot's going to happen, and it'll all be cool, and it'll all be shiny, and we'll think at the time it's okay, but then there won't be any consequence to it, will be the issue, and it'll kind of feel anticlimactic, because I think the problem is, is that Chimnall has set everything up for like, yeah. everything will happen, it's all converging, 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 but in reality, it's it's not going to converge very well, I don't think, it's just going to be too much. It's going to be a big, overstuffed, and then it'll end with a big red button, and we'll all go home. I think, and there'll be a lot of unanswered questions still, is my feeling. And that was the worry I had, even after the first episode, where obviously a lot of things were being set up. I was like, that's a lot you're setting up, not to answer. 
do you think it could potentially somewhat continue on into the New Year's April and then finally centenary special? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think there will be, but you would hope so. But I, I'm not sure whether we'll still be in flux mode at that point because well, obviously with the series being called Flux, you would almost feel like yeah. it can't go further. Whatever happens has to end the flux for here on out. And then maybe if there's surviving consequences, maybe those get explored. And if those are, then yeah, that would be all right. So do you want there to be surviving consequences? Or do you want there to be a big red button? I want there to be consequences. If you if you do stuff in a story, then you need to deal with what that means. If you hit a big red button, that's a very easy way of just writing out problems you're writing yourself into. Just to go, hey, here's a big red button. And don't worry, everyone's memories have been wiped or something. Don't worry about the logic. So essentially, Rusty Davis and Moffat. Particularly Moffat, yeah. That was always the Moffat pull. And, and Davies did it less, but there were instances where he would do it. Davies always did it at the end of season. Always. Did he? Give me an end of season where he didn't have a big red button. Uh, oh. Season one. Well, he had Rose looking to the TARDIS. Big red button, reset it all. Yeah, but that's like, at least that was within character. Like, at least that's sort of a character yeah, decision. But, like, but, it's rooted. But that still instantly... Okay, yeah, it's fair. I don't in, disagree in, with you. Instantly ended... Like, I'm not saying whether there were bad big red buttons or not. I'm just saying which they all ended in big red buttons. Yeah, season two's big red button. Yeah, season three's ending's ass. I do I do want to mention how ass that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, season four... Effectively, yeah, there's a button. There's literally... Donna goes... The there's there. there's like, many red buttons that, in that scenario. Yes, and there's... Oh, and it's all this button. Poof, and everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big... I prefer to see when you do something big to have consequences and to be able to tie up your loose ends that's the important thing you don't want to set up a loose end and then just kind of hang it hanging forever with no real answer because then why did you get your audience to worry about it if you're not going to answer the question if you if you ask a question you have to have an answer yeah and if if a question doesn't get answered then why was it there it becomes pointless screen time are you saying this could all be pointless screen time and this podcast could be pointless? Which, <laughs> I mean, it's justifiable. Well, the issue, the issue um, I think with the way Flux is and with the way everything is, obviously every episode is really connected and this is yeah. like a serial, is that we're not going to know until next week. Now. Yeah. That, and that, th- this will decide everything on how we feel about the last five. That, that's why every single episode we've prefaced all of our opinions with. This could change drastically. This, this could change drastically. Like last season, let's somewhat start on this episode last season's cliffhanger was perfect but then how it resolved itself this time mildly depressing yeah mildly i think that's a good segue to just go into it actually Mm. and start running through all this um because it's one of those it was much like episode three where we were jumping across many different narratives it seems to be we go from Jumping between different narratives, one solid story. Jumping between different narratives, one solid story. Jump mm. between na- narratives. The next we'll one looks what, like everything's going to be converged on the same thing anyway, so it'll be one narrative, but it'll still be jumping. Yeah. But that's always kind of what it was set up. We're now seeing that characters are sort of in position to be in the right place. So I think um, the best way to sort of unpack it, and this is kind of how we did it with Once Upon a Time, is to break it down by character and to talk about how their stories go. I'd say we've kind of got four strands to talk. Mm, Wouldn't even say that. No, I think we've... I'm trying to think of how many strands we've got We've got doctors, 
Companions, and yeah. then Belle and Carvanista. You've also got the Grand Serpent stuff. Good point. And you've got the Vin stuff, although that's very, very brief, so we don't have to mention it for a while. It's That's mainly setting up where the hell yeah, six will be. Yeah, there's essentially two, season, two scenes. There's literally two scenes, there. yeah. But it's it's a we'll talk about that briefly yeah. after and see what that means. So yeah, I reckon if we start from the big one, drop our way down, talk about everything. Okay, where do you want to start? So the Doctor makes perfect sense. Yep. And we can start about the cliffhanger. My God, I wanted there to be more consequences. You see my point? So basically, um, obviously full spoilers ahead now um, for what happens if you haven't seen it run. So we arrive and it turns out that the Doctor becoming a weeping angel, well, it's not that. It was essentially a way to transport her, which is the most boring. It's a bus reason essentially she was put into a transportation pod yes which has taken her to division Ooh. which is the main the main crux of this episode is we we actually do find a bit out about division so yeah the doctor arrives and meets uh well there's really just two people up there there's nude yay i wish i wanted which more is great. yeah there wasn't much nude there's only a couple more. scenes of nude and obviously just the one yeah it kind of just felt like a nod to be like yeah we know the uder of a thing yeah, like it feels, felt like the Ood could have been just a standard human. Yeah, because I remember saying at the end of last week that I really wanted the Ood to do that whole Guardians of Time thing. Yeah. But nah. Or at least or at least when, because there's a point where Dr. Grills the Ood tried to give her more information. Yeah. At least for his eyes to go red and for him to go a little bit insane. Mm, that that's what nice. That's what I wanted from that scene. Yeah, the Ood is kind of a flat character. But there, the Ood's there. And more importantly... Uh, well, Tectaean is there. As we now know that the old woman from 3 is Tectaean. I just thought of a really cool thing they could have done for you. Mm. Have it be one of the previous Doctor's friends portraying him. Very good. Instantly more impact. Mm. Instantly some reason for Doctor to leverage for you. Yeah, that would have worked, wouldn't it? Like, even if, if the Ood was still a two-dimensional character, it just would have given more juice between that relationship. Yeah, because it really is have. just kind of... It's sort of set up to be like, I'm your friend, I'm your friend, I'm your friend, but obviously he's just an Ood. Yeah. We don't know anything other than, that's an Ood. You know what an Ood is? Yeah, it's like going up to some random guy on the street going, I'm your friend, Do you want, can you help me? Which hmm. wouldn't yeah. happen. And he just, for no reason... This is this is where the problems start. Um, but yeah, Doctor arrives and meets Tectaean because the old woman from episode three who chats with her and the vision talks about all the stuff. Turns out that is the woman who finds the Doctor and the Timeless Children, which means, yes, I know, we're going for it. Whoop, whoop. Timeless Children's not getting retconned, from what I can work out based on this episode. Yeah. Um, and particularly with um, the way that the cliffhanger is, like right at the end of the sneak preview as well, it looks like one of the main things will be we might see what the ramifications of Timeless Children are in an even more direct way. We might get answers to that, uh, potentially, because it's stored inside. Um, people who've watched um, Human Nature and the Family of Blood will know this device well. It's stored and, inside a and, watch. And also Fugitive Doctor, uh, doing episode from last season, mm. and also the Master one from season three. Yes. Sorry, just all the times that watch came up. Yes, the watch has been coming back up a lot recently. It's just good because it's a fun tool. It's a fun tool to use. Yeah, it, is, if, it was always useful at the time. If used correctly, which I'm not sure it will be Well, here. we'll find out. <laughs> so yeah, and, and to be quite honest, not a lot happens in the Doctor narrative. It's mainly some chat. 
It's what Chipnell does worst. It's just a lot of exposition. It's a lot of exposition because Tate Taylor is basically this really arrogant woman um, going on about how division is so big, like so big that it can't even exist in the universe anymore because it's outside of the universe. And that's maybe the other big reveal with this is that the goal of division is to essentially kill this universe off and move to another one. So it's kind of in between in this sort of, in, like in the void. Kill it all off. Because of the Doctor. Yeah, that, that... Oh, God, I'm sorry. It, I'm sorry for the senses. That's bull... Um, yeah. Uh, but there is something where we were both wrong. We were both wrong. We need to hand, hold our hands up. Mm. It wasn't Swarm he made for Lux. That's true. Yeah, no, it's a division. So we are wrong about that. And obviously, and Swarm's obviously on um his own thing. Yeah, I still Against think, division. I still think it would be the best idea if Swarm made it. Yeah, although actually, I'm not sure about that because this, wouldn't that have made it all very kind of basic? I like the fact that there's multiple threats now because obviously Division is its own problem for the Doctor and Swarm is its own problem. But you've also been saying which now we've got too much complexity on it. Yeah, but I think that's for other issues. I, I don't mind having multiple threats because they have different motivations and I get the motivations. Like Swarm, I understand the motivation because obviously he was captured yeah. by Division. Of course he wants revenge, that makes perfect sense. Division, Division's motivation, well... Um, you know, the whole explanation for why they're created is fine, but why they're causing the flux just basically because the Doctor is around I also is a bit much. I feel like we needed to see more members of Division because currently it just feels like it's this one person. I feel like if yeah. we had, I feel like if we had more people running in and off screen, just go, I realise it might even be a COVID thing, just like relaying information to her. It well, or relaying information to Ood, it just would have felt a lot more. Well, there is a sort of there's a hint of it because um, they sort of there's a line where Tectonians are like we have operatives absolutely everywhere, and then we cut to one of the Lupari ships just messing off, just going, but which we, to me implies division operative. Yeah, I thought but, that was the implication of that of that yeah. scene coming after that. Uh, I feel like I feel like that should have been some of that should have been shown where the Doctor was, or at least shown some cutaways of the people working behind the scenes. Mm. I feel like otherwise, it literally just feels like it's just this one person, one man machine. Yeah, one woman machine. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's just very there's not a lot that happens in these scenes. It is mainly just the Doctor getting answers. Um, she asks what the vision is, they tell her we find out what division is. She asks if um, all of her stuff is real and whether the master was lying, and we get the answer that no. Well, Tatea might have been lying, but unlikely. But that's more unlikely than the master lying. So it's more likely that the time of the children is real. That's for sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, she gets presented with a choice effectively um, towards the end of the episode, where she can she can get hold of her memories. But she has to leave the universe behind, come with and join Division again, or she can go back to Earth and try and save it. Which, as the Doctor says, is the most f***ing pointless choice, because we all know which way the Doctor's going to go. If you're giving a character a choice, at least make it seem like she could go one way, or have her go one way Yeah, it's just, just incredibly likely. Yeah, I understand like the motivation of wanting to know who you are. It's decent, and it's as good as you're going to get, but it still comes across as, well, why are we doing this? Because we know the Doctor will not. Unless, unless she goes... She plays along and then backstabs, which could have been an interesting way of doing it. But if we're just going to offer the choice, but it's a I mean, stupidly... She it out of hand because she was going to. Yeah, it just makes the entire point of that question seem mildly pointless. Everything in this now, everything in the Doctor narrative this episode, and this has been kind of a change from, let's say, War of the Sontarans. 
where mm. a lot of the Doctor narrative was really good and whatever was happening with the companions was quite weak. It's actually the complete reverse, this episode. Yeah. The Doctor stuff is very basic. And like, everything happens so quickly. Like, goes to Ood. I need to know about the thing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's like there's a bit of persuading and it's like, well, all right, then I'll show you. I think that's where it would have become better if you knew the Doctor. Exactly. Yeah, you've got you're excuse, dead right. excuse for the Ood to go, oh, no, you might actually be right here. Yeah. I mean, what do you think of Jodie in this episode? And sort of the whole Doctor stuff, we're talking character-wise. I think Jodie did the best she could, as she yeah, always that, does. It's just kind of, it's but lazy, cheap writing, that whole segment. It, As I was saying before, it's Jim Nill's worst trait. It's the exposition. It's not mm. showing, because there's so many ways they could have shown it there. Like there's the nice shot with the, the inside universe. That's as good as it gets. Like, in that inside universe with the, um, the how it all centering in on the Earth. Mm-hmm. Why on earth didn't they just show a sped up version which showed it all going towards this obvious Yeah, no, they earth, were just like, it's going to Earth. Which, Are we going to show it? No. Which which would have been a perfect show not tell, easy enough, because they've already done the graphics. Yeah. They've already led up the character. Like, Even if she said at one point, just to point it out to everyone in case someone missed it, my God, that's all going to Earth. Hmm. Like, that would have at least given us some showing. It would have at least told us something else rather than the, just explaining it all the way. Or what's her name again? Uh, Tetean. Tetean. Just giving it all away. It just feels so lazy. And also, just a note on Tetean. Mm, Tetean. Something which I've seen being complained about from, I think, Josh Snares and a few other people. Mm. For names this season have been so god-awful. Like, you can't remember half of them. Yeah, Tetean, Carvanista, Like, Carvanista's fine, but what's Finder's full name? Instant V Vinder, but I only recognise that because I'm really autistic. Yeah, like, what's the guy? What's the name of the guy we met yet last episode who was on the Earth, not on the Earth, on the planet? On the planet. On the planet. Yeah, the guy who Bell saved. <laughs> Already lost it. Yeah. 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 No idea. I, I, we knew it last week, but it was fresh. I didn't. He had four names. I yeah, remember that. I didn't. I, I just relied on you to say it every time and just hid the fact that I didn't know it. Yeah, it's because I uh, might have Wikipedia'd it. Yeah, the names are the names are rubbish, aren't they? Yeah. Sorry, just completely off. No, tangent. I agree. But the thing is, it's like, it's actually worth saying because already the plot is quite convoluted. So when you're adding convoluted names into a convoluted plot, you're giving the audience a lot to do. Like I understand how you want them to have alien names, so it all sounds cool and alien. Mm. But that's where you do what you do with Vinda. You give him a short, easy to remember name of Vinda, mm. and then you just don't mention the other names. Mm. Like, I think the guy we met yesterday has got the name Poe in his name. Just have him referred yeah, to... Yeah, he does, it, actually. Have him referred to as Poe. And then everyone knows that. And we don't need to go through this stupid tirade of having over-complex names. Yeah, and no going, well, what's his name again? Yeah. It's just pointless. Sorry. No, no, it's completely completely fair around. And this is another thing that this is actually... I am segueing a bit, but, like, you've reminded me of it now. There is a rule in writing which is very, very important for me at least, is that you shouldn't really have more than three plots. Mm -hmm. Really. Because when you start going over three plots, that's when audiences start to struggle. Yeah. Three, the a general audience will take. Like, no problem. Yeah. Get to four, you're starting to push him. You get to five, you're starting to push him more. And there are five subplots in this, and I think there were more in episode three. Yeah. 
the result is we say it's jumbled because it is. It's it's very difficult for a human mind to process all of those individual plots and see the links. There's so much happening. And so what you get is with this whole episode, it was just jump, 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 jump with no consistency, the whole thing. The episode doesn't really begin. It doesn't really end. It, this episode is what I think it was... It's perfect. like a lecture. I feel like it was perfectly fine watchable TV. It is all of Chipnell's worst traits in one. Yes. It's glo- random glow popping, low spec position, over complex names, which massively convoluted and lots of telling 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 occasional showing while also telling yes but it has to be telling and it's just all of his bad traits in one story yes now the last episode which i still maintain is excellent um and still was very very good that had a co-writer right this doesn't and uh yeah <laughs> you can tell because what the sun tyrants is, is like a decent episode it was decent yeah um, but the others have been, yeah, mediocre at best. But the Zontaran episode as well was relatively simple. simple. You can't, yes, it was quite focused. You can't... I mean, we complained it was too simple. It it was simple and he didn't l- lose his track. Hmm. It feels like what's happening is that he's going... He's writing, 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 writing. Oh, look at that tree. Let's go and write about that tree. Writing about the tree, writing about the tree, writing about the tree. Oh my God, there's a bush. Let's write about this bush. Let's write about this bush. There are plants in the bush. Oh my god! I need to finish writing that first thing I stuck on. Writing, writing, writing. All tree. Writing, writing, writing. That's what it feels like. It does feel like that. Oh, I haven't gone to them recently, and then we just cut back. There's no real structure to the episode, and so the result is you spend an hour watching it. You just like it's just like a wash of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's the Doctor's narrative. It, the truth is, is that you think a lot happens, but it's none of it's in the Doctor's narrative because she's sort of hiding out on the vision, um, says hi to 6A and she says hi back. They have a conversation. She says, do you want this? She goes, no. And then Swarm arrives and Tech 10 dies. Yay. That is really annoying. It's just such a quick, like, she. Th- there's a character, actually, because you've got so much. She is effectively the, the, the closest thing the Doctor will ever have to some kind of history, if yeah. we're going with the whole timeless child thing. I mean, she they, she refers to herself as as the Doctor's mother. Yeah, I mean, the last time we even had that teased was in End of Time Part Two. Yeah, uh, and that was only a tease; that was never confirmed. So we've had that dangled in front of our faces, and then it just old oh, swarms here, and you're dead. Yeah. It... Also, if we were saying that Tectaean it controls division, yes, it really is that easy. First of all, to just do that. I mean, I know it's been easy for the others, but like, surely you would have thought a little less easy. Like, yeah, like, where's the Weeping Angel guards? Yeah, uh, literally no guards. Like, what? There are so many plot conveniences in that strand where I'm like, you just haven't thought about it. There's no logic involved. Like, she even says, which I sort of run division. Like, what does that even mean? You can't say that while also not giving us any sort of like background of sort of running it while. Yeah, the whole thing about what is division is just like it's said in those vague terms as oh, but it, but I could never describe it. Translation: Chris Chibnall doesn't know how to describe it. Oh, translation: Oh, Chris Chibnall is purposely making this mysterious for no reason. Yeah, do you, do you see why I think this is the weakest episode? Yes, because there are issues all over the shop. Yeah, but how do I word this? I think there is once you dig under the surface. 
but I don't think as a regular audience you would care. Nah, I think Tectane dying like that is I, pretty... And the, and the angel cop-out, because I do think that's a cop-out. I think those are issues that are pretty general. I think it's like the evil of the Daleks. Only it's a hell of a... Yeah, okay. Only this time... Like we we previously said, which for either the Daleks as a casual viewer is really good fun, really good fun, really entertaining, really, really good. Uh, but then as soon as you start digging into it, it becomes a jumbled mess. Mm. I think that is this. Only the general audience doesn't see it as general fun. It's just a meh. Exactly. The, the the Doctor stuff on well, it's not really on anywhere, isn't it? In the void, shall we say? Yeah. Is dull. Not a lot happens. We just get sort of told answers. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's the main thing. We can move off that though because there are other bouts about because there are better bits of this episode, and the main one I think we should talk about is what's going on with Dan, Yaz, and thank God he's still here, Eustatius Jericho. He just isn't used though. No, not really. He ha- he's just comic relief really in this. It, it feels like which the last writer left him with Chris Chibnall, and Chris Chibnall was just there going, <laughs> "Oh, an old man." We would laugh at him. Uh... I don't want to kill him off, but I equally don't know what to do with him. Yeah, so Jericho is kind of used... The whole thing is that um, Yan... Yan. <laughs> Yan. <laughs> you, you, you shipping them together? <laughs> yes, I guess I am now. <laughs> the Yan couple and Jericho <laughs> um, are sort of globetrotting Indiana Jones slash Agatha Christie style around 1904. They've been stuck or displaced in time with the Weeping Angels, and they've been there for three years waiting for any information on the Doctor. Meanwhile, Yaz has been given a hologram by the Doctor, which gives her a task, and that is finding out when the world is going to end. Yes. Or when the flux happens, basically. Sorry, I'm just noticing plot issues, but we'll get to those. Yeah, yeah, so am I. Um, we'll get some. Yeah, that's the whole thing. What do you think about that whole thing? Because I think it's quite fun. I think it's fun, but it's longer than it needed to be. Yeah, there's a lot of, um, for example, the scene where they visit the Sherpa in Nepal, which do- which doesn't really lead to anything. It leads to them trying to send a message to Carvanista, but then that doesn't lead to anything. Because Carvanista says, well, you're in 1904, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. Like, that, that entire sequence was there for comedic relief which is fine but that comedic relief needs to lead to something like if, if he had said something it along, does thanks to Williamson but we'll get to that, that that's I think leading I, somewhere I think if someone said like if if that guy in Nepal said because he essentially goes three words fetch your dog if he had said something along the lines of two words mad mole mm. and we then went straight to the mole yeah, that makes more sense. I mean, I get the idea of like having a red herring, but it just feels like a sort of commit. It's just like we've gone to the Great Wall of China to to make a reference to when River Song carved stuff in a cave uh, to have a laugh, and it's just like it's more wasted time. Yeah, it feels like an extra point for no good reason. But also before this, this is the plot point I've just noted as we were talking. I've noticed yeah. an issue with so. They get attacked on their ship by mm, a serpent agent. This is never mentioned again. 
never brought up again. No one tries to, to attack them again for Grand Serpent. We never see the Grand Serpent ordering it. Well, yes, Nothing and he gets happens. thrown overboard and there are no consequences to it. He sort of just attacks, says something about trying to save time, bites a cyanide capsule because he's being sat on, which is a different way to bite a cyanide capsule, and dies. Yeah. It feels, if, yeah, absolutely if, no reason for that to it happen feels like that we know of. only reason for that was to set up the Grand Serpent as a threat, but that's something which has already been done before. Yeah, we did that with Vinda two episodes ago. Um, at least have that create some urgency behind them trying to solve this problem of, oh, sh- we're being chased. Mm. Instead of just going, no, we shoved them overboard. No, we've sorted that now. And now we're just going to get back to, um, to globetrotting. Or... Or show Vinda ordering people around to try to do that. Like, it just... Once again, it just feels like it's there. Yeah, the plot doesn't really have any... It's just kind of like, ooh, where are they? When in reality, it doesn't affect it. It's just kind of, well, we need to check in on them. That's what it feels like. Oh, but if we don't check in on the companions, then we'll feel like they're not doing anything. Well, they're not doing anything if you check on them this way either. No one does in this episode. Someone does. Well, Someone does do some things in this episode, and this is a good segue to go on to uh, a certain line of duty actor. The Grand Serpent. Uh, the Grand Serpent, yeah. But can, this... I, can I put it to you, though? He only, in this episode, does this entire lead-up to get the Zontarans involved. Yes, it is just lead-up. But at least he, at least we see him do stuff to do that. Like, at least there's stuff that impacts the narrative. Yeah, I'm still not And convinced. cool things. There's a lot of cool things yeah. I think we should talk about, because, because the beauty of the Grand Serpent narrative is effectively... He, because he has the ability to move through time, he is able to influence the effects from the from the origination to the present day of unit, which whoop, uh, whoop. means units back. Yep, whoop, whoop. and we've seen it. We see it in all its guises now. Controversially, um, it is said that the Grand Serpent is instrumental in the founding of unit and then the future running of unit. Yes, which is not good. Not good as in not good for unit or not good for the... Not good for unit, yeah, not good for unit. unit. Well, not good for either, is it? No. <laughs> Did kick that a bit. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the scenes are pretty good. I think Craig Parkinson's doing a good job. He, The Grand Serpent has a sort of masterishness yes. about him, which I like. The killing with the serpent stuff, I know you don't like because it's, um, it's a bit graphic. No. Serpent's I've, coming out of his mouth and all. Yeah. I feel like they've done it the best they can because they needed to have that in there. I think I would have taken issue if they showed the serpent actually physically penetrating the, the grand <laughs> yes. serpent. I was thinking to myself when it was wriggling up the leg, I was like, are they going to... And then, But then it kind of does this mould thing, which is quite nice. Yeah. It's a lot better than... Yeah. We get to see him kill a few people in sort of devilish ways. Um, what I like about... Because... Um, the 50, ugh, I'm trying to recount all these scenes now. 1958, he helps find found unit. Nine years later, he's with the same guy... And then he's created a device which will tell if anyone's an alien or not, use the device on him, comes up alien, he kills him. I like the fact that was unplanned. Yeah. In a way, that, that genuinely seemed like a, oh, for God's sake. Oh, no, I've actually screwed up now. I actually have to now kill him, which was not ideal. In that scene, though, that I'm going to say this here is the best way to do a callback. They have over a tannoy go, Lethbridge Stewart to bloody blah, blah, blah. And they said, oh, yeah, no, they hired him after what happened in the post office. Which, which is a great War Machines reference. Which is a great War Machine reference. A great way of bringing in Leprous Stewart without having someone else play Leprous Stewart, which I think everyone would have hated. Yeah. I think this is the perfect way of linking all these things together. It's subtle and it's tasteful. It's one of the best things about this episode. Yeah. I think the Grand Serpent plot is probably the strongest 
it's not that long, but the but the scenes are pretty good, um, and it does a really good job of building up how powerful he is. Uh, because after the sixties, he goes to the eighties. He wants to be chair of the oversight committee. He Guy gets- says absolutely not, so he kills him, and then. An old friend reappears. And it, it is so nice to see Kay again. It yeah. is so nice. I mean, obviously, the sneak peek got everyone... Um, excited. Everyone really excited. We don't see much of her, but the good news is she is in the finale as well, so and, it won't be the last. And she seems to be doing active stuff, which is a rarity in this episode. Oh, her scene was great. Probably the best scene in this whole thing, actually. Yeah. Where Kate just goes, I know what you are. Nails that as well. Yeah. And defends her family name straight up. And yes, okay, her house gets bugged and bombed. But she can deal with that. This is Kate Lethbridge-Stewart we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, she phones She's... up Osgood and he goes, I'm off. Goodbye. Mm. Does that mean Osgood in the finale, do you think? Because mentioning that would imply... It would almost be disappointing now to make that reference. But they're also for people who, during the Christmas special, had um, Captain Jack go... Oh, yes, Gwen's doing just fine. Hmm. And then never brought on Gwen. That is true. We can never get what we want. Is this going to be a callback done incorrectly? We'll find out. I mean, it's not necessarily incorrect if Osgood doesn't come back. It's nice if we have a callback at all. Yeah. But we'll just see how it goes. I'm just liking the fact that we definitely see Kate in the sneak peek. And we're going to get more of her because she's great. And she was great in the little bit we got of her. Yeah. Um, and then this leads to, like you were saying before, what the whole plan is. And also, I'm very. Ha- Chris Chibnall has done a lot of shit things during his tenure. Yes. But. But I like the fact which he's not afraid to play around with his predecessors' toys. Mm. Unlike what Moffat did, where he essentially just went, eh, I'm not touching for you. Yeah. We've got, we've got Chibnall at- actively playing with Weeping Angels, Kate, potentially Osgood, Unit. He's not afraid to get his hand dirty instead of just going, oh, Yeah, no. I'm going to worry that. It was almost like Moffat treated the Davies era, like a lot of us do, to be fair, as so rever- so reverentially that he couldn't touch any of it. Yeah, or just like when... Unless he made stuff for it, like the Angels. It felt like he just went, that's not mine. Yeah. Well, Anything Davies that? made, he wouldn't touch. Which, but, but Chimnall's more than happy to touch both. Which is both to his downfall and also to in my eyes his strength yeah i think how it's been done is is inconsistent yeah. some's worked some hasn't but i but you know i think you have to try it and so i do admire that yes yeah, so, so i'm happy he's, he's bringing back things from the predecessor like the ooze like the weeping angels like kate potentially osgood i'm happy all this stuff is being played with yeah i'm liking that things link back because one of the big issues from davies to moffat was moffat just went and straight oh we've rebooted it don't worry nothing's happening we can't link back there that's all in the past yeah. Whereas now, which I was like, well, it's happened, isn't it? So we'll just link back to everything, which is exactly what you want, really. Yeah. We're building this wider universe all the time. Yeah. And I'm happy he's referencing things like the post office incident. Yeah. That, that is a really like, nicely done reference. Like the original Sontaran episode in the Sontaran mm. one. I'm liking which sometimes he can be excessively fan servicey. But there are, there are a few but things that are good. I think dotting them around is fine. Mm. Speaking of Sontarans, that is the main thing for the Grand Serpent, because the whole thing is he's interfered with units so that he is in line 
to allow the Sontarans in. It's one hell of a long game for not much gain, isn't it? Yeah, well, I guess the Sontarans... Well, well, that was the whole thing with the Grand Serpent set up two episodes ago, is he was the one who was sort of conducting these deals. Yes. And he would profit off them religiously. I've got a suggestion. I've got no clue how much truth in this suggestion there is. But... The Master has been known to set up odd deals, stupidly ludicrous plans which take forever to come true. You're saying something? Do you think the Grand Serpent could be linked to the Master? He is a bit masterish, And I don't think that's hidden. I wouldn't rule that out. I mean, it'd be, it'd be kind of cool because obviously we have noticed a distinct lack of Master, particularly because we are now dealing with Thunder's Children stuff. Yeah, and... And he seems instrumental to that. Particularly from the last episode, I, I thought he would come back by now. Yeah. I, Even if it was just like random tapes or random notes. We had the first mention of Mon- Master today and it was essentially just judge going, was what the Master said true? And that's it. Mm. I thought we'd have more. Yeah, I, I sense that. I sense maybe that could be something. I hope it's not, though, because I do like Sasha Dwan as the Master. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually really liking Great Barnes in this. I, I, I'm liking I, The Serpent I, a lot. So am I, but I'm also liking Sasha Dwan and generally once yeah, uh, someone, a time more to regenerate, you rarely see them on screen together, Miss the Ember Master and John Sims Master mm. separate. You don't tend to see them interact No, on you screen. don't tend to. So I'm hoping I'm wrong in some sense. But but I could see the where you're getting the logic for that. Yeah. That's the main thing. So yeah, those are sort of your main narratives now covered, and now there's sort of we're sort of just covering up the last bits. So Bell is worth talking about. There's not much Bell, but it's been the same for the last two episodes, really. Bell and Carvanista Car- essentially remote desktops into Bell's yeah, she ship. Yes, uses Team Viewer and brings him in. <laughs> remote hyperjacks the Lupari of craft that Bell's been on the whole time. Uh, so Carvanista boards the craft, finds Bell. But then the Sontarans arrive and there's no real so, things going on with that. you had a theory about this. I don't think it's a theory. I think it's probably what's happening. I'm going to counteract your theory. So do you want to explain your theory? Okay, so what and I I'm think... And I'm going to give you a side. What I think... Because we were having a discussion about... So the Sontarans arrive at the end of the episode yeah. to invade Earth. And, we and you, you were sort of saying at the time that it was a new invasion. Was it a new one or the old one? Yeah. My opinion is the old one. And that what we're seeing with the Grand Serpent is we're now seeing why the Sontarans were able to breach the Lupari shield. That's the reason. So now we know that. But this is where I'm going to counteract you. Okay. When Dan and Carvanista are talking, Carvanista acts like they snuck in. And I mean, having a full-on frontal attack is not being stuck in. That's true. Do you think... I, I would have thought which Dan would have went, yeah, no, they invaded our ships. Mm, yeah, you would have just thought, oh, the Sontarans came through. Yeah. But you could always say snuck in as in they found a small hole in the shield. Because the shield hadn't been covered there at that point. Oh, no, they had, but then they invaded. No, no, I don't think Bell's ship had been put in yet because Carvanista was boarding it. I think. Because you never see it go in. So perhaps that's what they meant by sneaking in in the sense that there was a hole left there by Mm. what I do believe to be a division opportunity. The uh, guy, I think was called Juvenost. Yeah. Best character in the whole thing. We see him, we don't even see him, but he just, he says, ah, fuck this. But then the Zontarans come in, take it over, and they turn up in someone's tunnels. Yes, because the Zontarans, well, we knew that the Zontarans invaded sort of in time. From yeah. the second episode, and perhaps that's that. Also, we know that with the Williams stuff, which we didn't actually really explain the Williamson stuff. No. We didn't actually explain the Williamson stuff, sorry. Um, yeah. Yaz, Dan, 
and Jericho see Williamson on their ship. They're like, how are you here? They figure out they should probably go find him. So they go to Liverpool, go into the tunnels. They find Williamson. And in the tunnels... They've got loads of different branches off into different places and times. because he's like 12 a, doorways, he, he says. Yeah, he's, he's also believes which forward is going to enter. That's why he's been digging. But then Santarans come marching in, which I'm going to propose to you. There's another theory. No. The square off my prediction bingo. Ah, oh God. Here we go. Because my thing is, Joseph Williamson's tunnels are used for an invasion. You Yeah, that's that, that that works. Which I'm going to put to you is exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. Yes. So I win. Have you got? Have you got a line? No. Oh. Not, not quite. Oh, I was thinking I'm, if you had a line. I'm, I'm guessing all first loads of boxes ticked, but all in the wrong places. <laughs> Well, I didn't get anything, so that's better. So you should have gone for serious side. I really should have done, but I didn't. And I'm just, you know, I don't regret that. <laughs> I don't need to win to prove anything. I wanted to make interesting, jokey quotes that I knew would probably turn out to be false. But it would be really funny if one of them did turn out to be true. Yeah. There's more value in one of mine being true because they're just so outlandish. But I'm getting value in being right. All right. <laughs> Repeatedly. It's nice for you. I know. <laughs> no. And then the, the last thing to cover is Vinder, I suppose, because, again, very little. Uh, we sort of, we see Swarm and Asya in this narrative. Basically, what's going on, there's a few people huddled around some blue crystals, yep. things, and Swarm and Asya are feeding off them enough that they can create a psycho-temporal bridge to the Doctor, which they then use and they arrive in the end of the Doctor narrative, kill Tectone. But Vinder... Vinda gets caught by a passenger form. Where the same one which dies in, and I don't like this bit because it seems too easy, die instantly finding Vinda. Yes, like immediately. Like, even if they had them walking through a crowd of extras just milling around. Yeah, I mean, I get COVID on that one, but... But at least show him hunting around for a little bit. Yeah, to find somebody. But yeah, it's literally, he arrives, then dies like the only person in this passenger realm. Or even have them actually go into a cell mm. and their cells just happen to be next yeah. to each other. Here's a question. This Bell and Vinda stuff. Yes. Like, it's like a nice love story and everything and the characters are like sort of likeable. Yes. Does it need to be in this series? Because it hasn't really impacted the plot in any way yet. Bell and Vinda or... A Bell and Vinda, yeah. Because they're kind of just skirting around the actual plot. I I have to admit, I am disappointed by how Vinda's been used. There's just nothing for Vinda. Not since the episode two, in a way, where he was just kind of caught up. It feels like he's just there. Yeah, I don't really get it. I don't think... Like, I would understand if they brought him along in that episode two and they departed and separated. Like, at no point have they been joined together unless Vinda's next episode is going to use that quick dial thing and the doctor somehow can rescue him well that's been set up but even then like he hasn't for someone who's been set up as like a special recurring person who was was supposedly brilliant by the way yeah from that whole backstory thing we got of him but yeah yeah very little i mean unless he does something really big next episode it's going to get to the point where i'm like well why was this better than binder narrative in here I mean, like, we're, we're sat here going, oh, yeah, Vinda's definitely going to double-cross them because it's going to be a big part of this narrative. No, I don't think that's where it's going at all. No, 
because he's, he's not well, doing he's, anything. He's just here with Die now in the same place. So that's the usability. Like that's it's about as useful as Die's been to the narrative. Die's yeah. just been stuck in a passenger for four episodes. Yeah, waiting about yeah. and going. Oh, hello, I'm Die. I have a problem with these people because they captured me. He's like, oh, of course you do. No, John Bishop hasn't even said during this entire thing of I need to go save Die. Yes, he's been he's been in the decade for three years and he's like, oh, who's Die? Yeah, and we've got a ban on accents on this podcast. I'm not impressed. Today on illegal. Anyway, and that <laughs> and that I think mercifully rounds out uh, survivors of the flux. That's pretty much everything we could say. Yeah, it it's an odd one. It it follows the same trends which we saw before. I'm not saying it's terrible. No, but it is weak. No, I. It makes more sense than Once Upon Time, whatever it's called, which isn't saying much. Yeah, but it still feels really jumbled. and It's it's globe hopping for the sake of globe hopping. We've got no reason for it. We've got expeditional dialogue for days. We've got additional subplots which just don't need to be there. Undefended villains which don't need to be there. Yeah, that's some bullshit. We've got... The thing which annoys me the most, when people are put in different times, yet they seemingly can travel around the world because without having a single job or yes, making what is, any what money. Yes, what is their income in, you, 19, in 1904? Enough to be getting ships. Because, like, if they make a joke about how John Bishop's always the stowaway, like, make them all stowaways, and at least I've got reason to believe which they're in this situation. Yes, it would make sense that they're all stowaways. They don't have the money, but no, we've just got them. It's just it's it's just so many points in this episode where they're like, just accept it. Don't worry. Yeah, like it, each one is nitpicky, but if you have ten of them, then it's not nitpicky because they they all accumulate, and yeah. you just think, well, why why should I care about and, the reasoning? And there's not even like soft things like Suntarans can never aim at a main character like i under, <laughs> i understand plot armor i understand the story needs to move on i understand that but equally a lot of this stuff here just the weird thing is a lot of it just it it's plot holes for the sake of plot holes like half of the plot holes mm. they're making don't need to exist yes and yet here we are i think the main the main thing i'd say to contrast this with how good village of the angels was is that the difference between the quote good episodes yeah. and the quote mediocre episodes is just simply that the good episodes are focused and the mediocre episodes are not focused. It really does feel like it boils down to that. Yeah. There's too many plots, too much stuff that's trying to happen. Too much jumping. Too much jumping. And so you can't get time to get focused because you're just being wheeled from scene to scene to scene. Like, oh, look at this. Oh, look at this. Look at this. And there's no real structure or building you up. Yeah. Like, not all of it's bad. But because you're jumping, you don't get time to really settle with it. Yeah. Like, I'm not writing off Flux. because No, I won't write it off either. At this stage, by the looks of it, we're going to be in a scenario where half of it is good and half of it is questionable. Which is Wait, better than a lot of the Chibnall stuff. So. But it shouldn't come to this. I still think the series has had some value. Yeah, the series... Ha- Let me put it this way. The series has been good. The serialisation thing has worked in its favour, I think. Yeah, I'd say so. I- I wouldn't I've quite be, liked it. I wouldn't be surprised if Davies bring it brings it back in some sense. Maybe. Or like has like Well ha- the two parters were always kind of experiments with that and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he decides to do, say like 
half a series standalone, half fit serialized. Maybe. Which would make sense, but yeah. Like I have enjoyed I have enjoyed what Jim Nall has been aiming to do. Mm. I don't think he's done it well, but I like where he's wanted to go. So the question is, when we see the target next week, last episode of Flux, and I know you asked me this, so I might as well ask you this back. When he fires it, it doesn't hit the target. Will it land? Yes. Is that is that optimism or is that realism? <laughs> I think it's optimism, but also realism. As you were saying, he's best when he is concentrated. Mm. Purely by the fact it's the end means it's got to be consequent concentrated at the end point. Yes. You can't have If it's not, then God help us. If you can't if you are going to screw up the end point because it's all over the shop, what the hell are you doing? But also, as I've said repeatedly, the ending is gonna be so dissatisfying because Doctor Who is essentially one massive sitcom. Ev- everything somehow needs to revert back to the same state. And I'm sorry, but blowing up the entire galaxy is not going to be able to reverse back to the same state without a big red button at this stage. Mm, yeah, at this stage. So so we eagerly await to find out what the button is. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> sorry, I'm not being very positive here. Yeah, that was we started out you you said you started out that sentence by saying optimism, yeah, which was I, interesting. I, I'm optimism, which for leading up to that big red button will yeah. be good. But, but I, you almost, you're so realistic that it's going to be. I'm also realistic, which that big red button is going to be a big red button. Yeah, a big gleaming red button. Yeah, which, I mean, as, as we were talking about earlier, can be done quite well like with season one. It, it was a good big red button, but, it's a good, but it was a big red button. Yeah. But also... It's all about how you write it. Exactly. And we won't find that out until next week. Whoop, whoop. Giving a ranking to this episode then, Owen. Uh, what do you think? I'm going to put it smack bang middle and give it a five. Give it a five. Because it wasn't boring. It wasn't a confusing mess. It just wasn't. There wasn't that much going on which I feel like is better than what we had with Once Upon Time, where it was just a confusing, mildly boring mess. Mm. Okay, that's that's fair. Um, right, the problem, the, the only thing is for me, is that for me it was a bit boring and was a bit of a confusing mess. And not a lot of stuff happened at all, really, yeah. particularly in that Doctor Strand, which is just so yeah. bland. And just like, here's the exposition. So I'm actually going to give it a three. I, I really want to put it down and say, like, this is a bit rubbish. It's a bit messy. Yeah. At least with Once Upon a Time, I kind of, I understood why it was that way. But with this, you need a bit more focus now. We're at the second to last episode and, and it's not come. Yeah, we need we need a big cliffhanger to get us ramped up towards that ending. Yeah. And sometimes barging in was a big thing. But if, as James Ferry states, it was the first one. We yeah, already, it's already happened. We already know how that ends. And then if it is a second one, it's all very sensorized. Oh, look, there's men in in the caves. We had to get that reference in there, didn't we? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's my feeling on that. Uh, but that, and you won't hear from us until next week uh, because that's the end of this episode, I believe. Uh, we've gone through everything we could. 
Actually, one quick thing. There I is have, a quick thing. have been listening to Christopher Eccleston's Big Finish stuff. You still mildly meh? As with all of the previous Christopher Eccleston things, I'm mildly meh. <laughs> he, needs, he needs a companion because half the entire series are spent with him introducing himself. It's getting tiresome. <laughs> at least in first... Hello, I'm the Doctor. At least the first one with Nova, he's had three stories to get to know her, mm. even though her memory was instantly wiped, which <laughs> is my problem with most stories because I think that's a cop-out. It is a cop-out. Um, but other than that, he spends most of the stories introducing himself, going, hello, I'm the Doctor. You should trust me. What? I don't trust you. Well, you should. Well, I don't trust you. Oh, look, this big set-piece thing happens. Oh, look, I now trust you. Let me know, and that's every episode of the classics we've done. Essentially, but at least he's got companions around them to bounce off. That's true, them. yes, he, he does. He doesn't have this. He's just got landing there and going, hello, I'm the Doctor. And then going, I don't trust you. Well, I... And, and don't it, know why you would. Yeah, and at no point am I given any reason to why these people aren't just chucking him out. Yeah, no. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's Christopher Eccleston. That's the Christopher Eccleston stuff. Yeah, so we'll be back next Monday to I, I, to debrief uh, because I have no idea what how this will end, really, and we will work out how to move on from it. We'll be assessing the consequences. We'll be assessing the consequences building together pieces of a puzzle, answering any questions we might have. And talking about New Year's, I suppose, because with it being so close, you imagine that there will be some fallout from that that will go in there. Yeah, and crying about big red buttons. Yes. So if you like the sound of that and want to listen to that, uh, do remember to subscribe to Into the Black Archive on wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be the first to know when we go live with that. Uh, We're on pretty much everything. Uh, and if you want to contact us and let us know what you're thinking of Flux uh, or any other Pooh stuff, um, you can get in contact with us on Twitter. Our handle is at BlackArchivePod, or you can email us if you want. Uh, that's BlackArchivePod at gmail.com. No spaces, all lowercase. And down below, I will be asking you, how could they have gone out of that cliffhanger better? Yeah, that's how a good could they have resolved the angel cliffhanger? The, the weepy angel one. Yeah, yeah. Because we did have some responses. I forgot to do this previously in the episode. Yes, we, we ha- sh- yes, we should we, talk about these. Actually. We, we had someone respond to us. Well, yes, we'll do a quick mailbag and then we'll get out. Well, we've only got one mail, one letter in for mailbag. So it's a mailbag. Um, I think. Sorry, dyslexia means I can't read things. It's fine. I think this is my fave appearance of the angels since Blink. I love how they maintain the tension in the episode, the side characters, the road angles, and the cliffhanger, which I think is everything we've agreed on. Yeah, it's absolutely bang on, really. Um, Because I think the issues with the Angel episodes after Blink that Moffat had done was that he lost sight of why the Angels were good in the first place, and he thought it would be better if he sort of expanded the mythology, when in reality, Mm. why we liked them was because we didn't know awfully much about them. Mm. It was the mystery, and it was the tension. And with the whole Division thing being added on top in the last episode you got that tension back of, well, what is this weeping angel up to? Exactly. And that, and with them all doing the suspense things and getting the Blink stuff right, that all adds up to create yeah. what is easily the best episode of this series. Yeah. A, a big highlight, no matter how Flux ends. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for listening. As James said, remember to contact us in our aforementioned methods. They'll be down below if you can't find them. And that question will be down below as well. So thank you very much for listening. Remember to subscribe and good night. We'll be back in the next universe if we get there. Maybe. (laughs) See you later. See you later.